You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Episode 169 of the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all. This is the Pimpcron. And we are brought to you today by our beautiful and sexy and amazingly aromatic Patreon patrons. And we are also brought to you by GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain and beautiful game mats. Tonight, we do not have a Tesseract mailbox because our mailbox is empty. Like I've said before, um, you can reach me at facebook.com slash pimpcron with one P, and you can reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com. So, um, you guys need to be sending me in some letters and giving me, I don't know, compliments or, or praise or, I don't know, just tell me how beautiful I am. Tell me I'm a pretty girl. <laughs> or if you don't like something, you can also say something there, too. Um, that's just where we have our conversations. So, what have I been up to? Well, I just got back from a very arduous uh, trip with the family. My daughter was in a sport. We had to go do that. So, this is very late Sunday night, and I'm getting this episode in. So, just letting you know that, uh, you know, the old pimp cron still at work for you, even when it is not convenient. So no Tesseract Mailbox tonight, but we are covering a Want That, Want That Not with the, uh, I'm sorry, the Red Gobbo, and uh, that is GW's annual uh, Christmas-themed grot that they sell, and we will be saying whether or not we want that. And then the main talk for tonight is making miniatures the GW way, and I go into detail how they make their miniatures. I am warning you that... Um, I did not consult GW for this. I'm just letting you know that ahead of time. What else have I been up to? I played a game of 40k this week at the club with uh, my friend Devin. And I played... What did I play? Necrons, believe it or not. I played Necrons versus his Blood Angels. And uh, I pretty much decimated him on the board. I mean, I, I walloped him. He was almost tabled. But... As far as points go, I beat him 35 to 25. So that's really not that bad, actually. Um, I just had one really good turn that completely turned the table, the tides of the game. Now, I was probably already going to win, probably, not definitely, but the 60% chance I was probably going to win, just the way it was going. But this one single turn completely changed it. In one turn, I had, he had deep struck some assault terminators behind my lines. He was going after my objective in the deployment zone. And, um, he killed my doomsday arc, which was unfortunate. And, uh, then my six man, uh, destroyers turned around and we of course reroll ones because we are destroyers and we hate things. And then I gave them my will be done, the plus one to hit, because now they're core units, as per the FAQ. So now they're hitting on twos, rerolling ones, and then I spent two CP to reroll wounds. So I'm hitting on twos, rerolling ones, three shots each, strength six, so I'm wounding them on threes and rerolling those wounds. Minus three, D3 damage. And even though he did have Thunder, Thunder Hammer Storm Shield, they were just four ups that he could make. And it was glorious. I killed four out of five of his Terminators in that one turn. 
So that was fantastic. On the other side of the board, my scarabs had ran into trouble with another five-man assault Terminator squad. And uh, my scarabs were, you know, holding their own, surprisingly surprising, uh, surviving kind of okay. But my Satan went over there and was like, oh, yo, bro, you like smites? Here's a smite. And basically what he did is he rolled three dice on a four up. They take D3 mortal wounds. Well, I rolled four three ups. I ended up doing seven mortal wounds to that poor soul in that uh, that unit. And uh, that was probably the best that I've ever done. And then the other one was on a two up. He suffers D3 mortal wounds. And on a six, he suffers D3 plus three. And guess what I rolled? Yeah, that's right. I rolled a six. So he suffered D3 plus three mortal wounds. He suffered 11 mortal wounds. Because, of course, I rolled a one. <laughs> he rolled. He took 11 mortal wounds in that one turn from my Satan. And that was enough to kill all of those Terminators that were hassling my Scarabs, which was fantastic. And then, on the other other side of the board, I had another nine-man unit of Scarabs that were fighting his... What are they called? The new Intercessor Scout guys that, like, deploy like Scouts used to, you know, like in the middle of the board. I forget their names. Anyway, Incursors or something. Anyway, uh, those guys, my Scarabs, did 19 wounds to in one turn. You did not hear that incorrectly. 19 wounds. I rolled fantastic. I rolled like 12 sixes. And the sixes auto wound with um with scarabs. The sixes to hit auto wound. So I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I killed almost his five-man squad. Now, it's no AP or anything, so he's still got his three ups. But uh, I killed three or four of those people out of five in that one turn as well. So but those were his three big units. And... um. I was able to kill all three of them, more or less. A couple of them had one model left, but that right there turned around the whole thing. Also, in that same turn, I almost forgot that his Librarian Dreadnought assaulted my Catacomb Command Barge, and my Catacomb Command Barge destroyed it in one turn. So, there was another unit dead. So, that was turn, like, three or four and all of that happened in one turn. So he lost probably, I mean, he probably lost 40% of his forces right then. Like, it was it was a pretty big deal. And from then on, it just kind of spiraled out of control. His The Satan, the Nightbringer, is just so disgusting. Like, he's he's really good. Now, obviously, he does have his drawbacks. Small Arms Fire is just his bane. Like, you can just kill him, because he's only got 4-up save. So you pump a bunch of, like, aggressor shots into him, and he's probably dead. Um, obviously, he only takes three three damage per uh, per phase, but you know how that goes. So that was quite fun. Um, also, been working a lot on Shorehammer, and we're just about to make all of the narrative teams. Unfortunately, you know, I, I wait until the narratives are filled, and then I email everybody, and they send me what teams they're going to be on so I can split them up. And unfortunately, I had like 30% of everybody, whether it's Age of Sigmar or 40k or whatever, just not answer the email. So then I have to like try to find them on Facebook and message them on Facebook and then half of them don't answer because I guess we're not friends or whatever. So then I have to try to like find out if I'm friends with one of their friends and it's just it's just a big I'm actually going to have to text 
the last couple people just because they're not answering. And I really can't make teams until I know who is participating with what army because I ask a lot of people to have an alternate army and in case the teams aren't even or whatever. So you really need to know. Let's say my team is even now, but I still have five people that have answered. Well, then I'm going to set up the teams now and those five people are all going to be like, oh yeah, we're all Imperium. Well, okay, now the Imperium side has five people that the Xenos doesn't. You know, it's it's very difficult. Um, and I, I get it. I mean, I don't check my personal email very often either, so I totally get that people just don't see it. Or we end up in junk mail or whatever. So that is what we've been struggling with. And uh, we pulled the trigger on uh, six uh, sets of six gold medal cast uh, Shorehammer tokens, uh, objectives. And uh, they got the big Shorehammer logo on the back, and then on the front they've got the smaller Shorehammer logo. It says Shorehammer. Um, we paid for the rope outline. It, they're just, trust me, they're very, very nice. Um, so we've got them coming, and uh, Sable Delivery just came in with all their donations to the charity raffle. I'm, I'm very excited about that. And um, just other various things for Shorehammer. So also, I've been working very hard on the Brutality Supplement, editing this sucker. And uh, I'm on page like 63 out of 83 or something like that. I'm nearly done my third pass through this book. And just fixing, you know, little grammar mistakes. Or I, I'm reading through it fresh, you know, and I'm, I'm replaying the game. And I'm going, oh, well, you know, this should be tweaked a little. Or this isn't strong enough. Or this is too strong or whatever. And I'm very excited to get this out the door. And um, I've also been working very hard on the new Brutal Space rules, which are extremely similar to the Brutality rules. They're basically the same system, it's just used differently. And uh, so I've got a lot of people excited about that as well. So I've been very, very busy despite having my free time off. Um, I did want to mention one thing. While we were on this family trip this this weekend, um, it's just two days, uh, we did go to several parks, actually, on the way up there, on the way back, and all that during, and we ran into, you know, we have a history of parks that are, like, we did one that, come to find out, had unexploded ordnance. Um, we did another one that was not only a bear reserve, but also had, uh, it was also a bombing range for the military, uh, so that was excited, exciting. That was also the one that said, the paper that you got got at the entrance, it was like, look, um, you know, if you're stuck, you're just stuck. Like, you don't get good reception out here. You'll be lucky to get any phone reception. And tow trucks don't come out here. And this is also a bear reserve. So, I mean, just have fun with that. It's basically... Oh, it was called Alligator River. <laughs> so, apparently, I guess alligators are there, too. We didn't see any. We did see, I think, a bear at one point. But anyway, this was like two years ago. Point is, is that we went to another odd park and um, not intentionally, we just found one. And we pull up and it's like, oh, drive, you know, another quarter mile, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I'm driving down the road and there's woods everywhere. And then all of a sudden I stop because the road is covered in water. Like three, four, maybe five inches of water rushing over the street. And clearly, this used to be a concrete bridge that was only, you know, a couple inches or maybe a foot off the ground. It wasn't like some big bridge. But it was a concrete bridge that just collapsed. And now the river goes over the water, and they're totally fine with it. They're just like, ah, yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. 
So I stopped and I parked. I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm going to drive over this. Like, is this an abandoned park or what? We go over to the guard station. The guard station's all boarded up with plywood. And there's these foreboding, this one small set of dirty handprints on the door. And uh, that was like something out of a murder video. So that was exciting. Uh, and we, we did notice once we walked down to it that uh, there was water on the ramp going both directions. So clearly cars do pass over this. And we can see in the distance there was a parking lot with cars in it. So I was like, well, I guess we're going to uh, ford this river. <laughs> I felt like it was an Oregon Trail. But um, we did ford the river. And uh, turned out it was a really, really nice place. It was pretty cool. But I just cannot believe you would just let a bridge collapse. And they're like, huh, oh well. And just let the river run over it. It just seems, I don't know, seems odd to me. But anyway, that was more adventures with Pimp Crown and family at parks. So, all right. Well, that is it. So let's get on with the first segment of this show. And remember, send me some letters to the Tesseract mailbox. And remember to go check out Pimp Cron TV on YouTube for What Hammer. And we've got two skits a week. And uh, it's pretty awesome. Want that, or want that not? And, of course, for this episode's Want That, or Want That Not, we are covering the Red, Gabo, and Bouncer. Nope, I didn't just have a stroke. That is the name of the Goblin that they release. I guess it's pretty much once a year now. Um, last year, I think you had, like, a really dinky Christmas tree... And uh, Dered Gabo is a character from way back with orcs, and recently, in recent years, they have been releasing little new versions of him just for the sake of it. They're limited runs, and he's quite pricey at $35 for a goblin on a squig. But, let's get into it. So, Dered Gabo, of course, is going to be uh, only temporarily available. It is a very small model, looks like he's on a 32mm base. And, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about it because $35 for a model that can only be played in Warhammer Legends is, or what's it called? Is it called Legends? Hold on. What's it called? It's, um, Legacy. Uh, yeah, no, Legends. It's called Legends. Anyway, a model that can only be used in Legends and only has rules for that and no points is a little bit of an ask when you're saying $35. But as far as models go, and as far as painting uh, uniqueness goes, right? If you're collecting these every year and you want to paint each season's Dered Gabo or whatever, it's a pretty cute model. It's got a lot of character to it, and maybe we should get into that, because that's really the only redeeming quality. You're not buying this for the rules. You're not buying this because you have a complete Christmas-themed orc army. That's pretty unlikely. Not impossible, but unlikely. Um, what you're probably buying it for is the fact that it's a limited run, blah, 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 every year special. So the Red Gobbo, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, the Red Gobbo, is in a Santa Claus hat with a fake beard, and that's pretty cute. He always does. He has a golden star on his, uh, the fur of his white hat, his red hat, which always reminds me of a Russian hat. And it's got a big star, just, I don't know, I don't know why he's got a star that reminds me of communism, but whatever. 
He's holding a firecracker that looks like a candy cane, and it's not curved like a candy cane, but it's got the stripes on it, and the candy cane dynamite is lit. So he's holding it in the air, and he's hanging on to the squig, and uh, there's smoke coming off it. It's it's very nice looking, actually. Um, and what else? He has a tiny pistol in his back coat pocket, and it's got a little tag on it as if it was a present, and it says red. That's pretty cute. In, in his other pocket, he's got a grenade. And uh, all in all, he's a pretty cute little guy. As far as his squig, the squig is running. It's got a lot of motion to it. It's tilted sideways. It's on one foot. It's really charging ahead. And I can't quite make out what is in its mouth exactly. There is something in its mouth I can't see. It's got antlers bolted to its skull. And one of the antlers, of course, is broken, and it's been tied back together. And there is a Christmas ball on one antler. And streaming out of his mouth is some colored lights. So it's a whole string of lights coming out of his mouth like he was eating Christmas lights. Isn't that adorable? And he has his tail taped up and a Christmas ball hanging from the tail. Uh, they're also stepping on what seems to be the Charlie Brown-esque Christmas tree from last year that the Red Gabo had, and it's all crushed into the ground, sort of, and uh, it's, it's got its star on top sticking out of it, and it's in the snow. Um, he's got several balls, Christmas balls, also smashed in the snow, and I believe there's a grenade there as well. The whole thing is really quite cute. Um... I also like the Red Gabo has several medals on his on his vest, so he's got uh, like he's a war hero. It's it's all pretty cute. He's also got an earring that's also a Christmas ball. <sighs> do I want this or do I want this not? I do not want this. But having said that, I do think it's got a lot of character. I do think it's a really cute model, and I do think it would be a unique thing to paint because not everybody's gonna have one of these. They're a limited run. And a lot of people will not pay $35 for one, as far as the game is concerned, unusable character. But I could definitely see the appeal, if you are a painter and a hobbyist, to get this each year. So I'm sure they have no trouble selling them, and I'm sure it's um they do well with it. So it is a want-that-not-for-me at $35. If this was $15, like in the olden days, I'd be like, sure. But 35 no. I don't like painting that much to for it to be worth it to me. Um, that's not saying that to you, it might be completely worth $35. And I say to that, to each his own. So, anyway, that's a want that not for me. But, you know, I won't hate you if you buy it. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. Hello, everybody. For Real Talk with the Vimcron tonight, we are discussing the Games Workshop method of creating new models. Now, this is an insider scoop, which I just happen to not refer to any insiders for. But don't let that dissuade you from listening, because this is the real deal. First off, you are going to want to create one of the finest detailed models you possibly can, and preferably it's going to have a lot of tiny, tiny spindly details, the sort of details that are quite difficult for a 3D printer to replicate, because you need these models to be unique and trademarkable, and they have to be extremely fine detail. Now, 
part of that is because Games Workshop knows that they have a reputation to uphold, and they are definitely one of the best model companies as far as quality and creativity and all that with their models. But it's also to combat that dreaded 3D printer tidal wave that is heading for us all. So, um, another important thing is to fill up the sprue. I can't stress this enough. If you're designing a new model, not only does it have to be beautiful and have action to it and tons and tons of fine little details that are definitely going to be broken off in your army transport, you also need to fill up that sprue. Remember, this is a hobby. So what you need to do is make sure there is plenty of hobby to be had. Let's say you may be making a dwarf hero, right? First off, how are you going to figure out to put extreme fine details onto him? Okay, well, let's say his beard is braided. How about that? His beard is braided into several braids and they're flowing in the wind. That sounds pretty good. Let's give him a mohawk, some spikes, anything. He's holding like a tankard of beer and it's like sloshing out anything that's real fine detail to combat those 3d printers but the problem with that is that that is quite a small model right there's not much to him honestly that type of model in the past if it were metal cast would be probably two pieces right but this is a hobby and you got to give those hobbyists something to do so what you need to do is make sure there are tons of little pieces for this dwarf hero and that will keep the hobbyist busy. You need a punitive amount of bits that go into this model. Let's say the foam on the top of the tankard is an extra piece, okay? Then the tankard's an extra piece, and then the handle is an extra piece, and that fits inside his hand that is also an extra piece, and each one of these beard braids is also an extra piece. And you know what? I'm I'm feeling kind of weird. Why don't we make his belt buckle an extra piece? I mean, I know, I know that could easily be cast onto the regular model, but I just feel like I don't know. If if there's a model out there that is less than 45 bits, I feel like we're not doing our job because you need this to be a hobby. If somebody can a assemble a model in less than an hour, I mean, what are we even doing, frankly? I mean, right? We might as well be hero clicks. So what you need to do is you build the model as beautifully as possible, you combat those 3D printers, you put it on the sprue in as many pieces as possible, and then, then, you gotta look at the sprue and make sure there's no dead space. And if there is, you're gonna have to chop off, chop off his little finger. Or, um, I don't know, in the CAD machine, gouge out one of his eyeballs and make that something you gotta glue in. Something to fill up that sprue space. If you look at all the old GW models and their sprues from, let's say, 20 years ago, their sprues were extremely, extremely sparse. And now they're extremely dense. And it's because they need you to be playing... Actually, that's not true. It's I'm being rude. Um, I think it's the, the actual technology of their, their casting has gotten much better. Um, I really think that's what it is. But the argument could be made that they also do not want to waste any sprue space. So you want to make sure the sprue looks like it's full. So you're just going to lop off some small digit of this dwarf and fill up that sprue space with it because people do not like empty sprues. Now, when it comes to leaking this model, you will get extra points and actually you'll get a several thousand dollar bonus at the end of the year if you are a GW leaker and... One of the professional leakers, the the Warhammer Community Leaks, right? If you make it look like it could be a Tyranid, that's what you need to do. Because 
really, Games Workshop has this kind of, like, side hobby of just trolling the Tyranid players. So you gotta make sure that, I don't know, um, let's say that the dwarf has the hoof of a pony on his base for some reason. Like, there's a, a pony cadaver behind him, and that hoof will kind of look like if you look at it at a certain angle, and we will, trust me, we will look at it at a certain angle so that it just kind of looks like the hoof of a termagant. You just need to just just twist it a little bit so people will think it's the hoof of a term- termagant, and you will get a bonus at the end of the year if you tease the Tyranid players into thinking they're getting a new model, because <laughs> trust me, they are not. <laughs> and the next one the next step in this is it can't be dwarf mcbeardington or something like that that isn't trademarkable it has to be trademarkable so it's got to have multiple silent letters in it it's going to have to have at least three words in the name okay so let's say trogantic the trogantic trogantic the Ever drunken, ever intoxicated. There you go, and that's that's your copyrightable name. It's very specific. It's got multiple, and of course, trust me, there's going to be several U's you don't even pronounce. There's going to be several I's and E's you don't pronounce. At least four N's. There's going to be there's going to be plenty of extra letters. Okay, anytime you see something making a little too much sense spelling wise, you just throw an extra consonant in there, and you you're, you're fine. Um. And that, my friend, is how you name a miniature. Now, we've designed the miniature, we've leaked the miniature, we've even named the miniature, so we're all in, in a uh, good footing here. The next thing you need to do is you have to sell it with some extreme rules. So I'm talking like, he's got a two-up save that ignores any sort of rend, and he gets... 17 d6 attacks and they auto hit okay and he's got um i don't know infinity plus 12 wounds something like that and then what's going to happen is you're naturally going to have a spike in sales when you get a new character right this is probably coming out with a new book release or something like that you're gonna have a spike with the new character but if he's got fantastic rules it's going to sell much better. That's just economics, and that's just the way things are. So you need to make him abusively good. I mean, to the point where his faction is going to be getting, you know, 75% win rate sort of thing. And then you'll be like, oh my god, we never, we had no idea this model was this good about four months after sales. But there is a way to actually make more money with this extremely abusive and aggressive miniature with its amazing rules what you do is you throw it in a starter box with a bunch of models that you produced 30 years ago i mean it doesn't matter what faction it's for they could be iron guard or whatever they're called those um those ancient dwarves that were around since you know fourth edition fantasy or whatever i mean make it can be whatever you want but what you end up doing is you are also selling those models What you do is you don't make him available immediately by himself. You have to make him part of this box set. And then it's like, oh, look at this box set. It's so cool. 
but it really is just two new characters, one for each faction of whatever's in the box. It doesn't even matter. And then you're going to sell more of these models as well, banking off the hype of this newest model. Then, about four months later, after all the hype is over and all of that, then you go, oh my gosh, we had no idea that... Are you serious? This army has a 75% win rate? Oh my, I had, I had no idea. You know, we playtested the crap out of this and we had no idea that 17 D6 attacks that auto hit was like a big deal. Like we just, I don't, I just didn't come up and playtest. I don't know. And that's how you're going to do that. So <laughs> I'm sure this is coming off way salty. It's intended to be humorous and not way salty. But anyway, I'm going to continue. And then that's when you finally hit this army with a nerf bat so hard, it's going to have to go to abuse counseling because it's, it is going to be extremely nerfed. And suddenly he gets, you know, one attack and only if he charged and, you know, zero attacks normally. And yeah, it's just whatever. The enemy suddenly auto hit him. Like, I don't know why, but he's... He's just, I don't know. He's the ever intoxicated, right? So that is what you do, my friends. And then what you got to do is you got to make sure you don't do anything else to fix this army for years, years, people. You got to make sure that you just leave this army alone in its crippled state for just, just many years. And meanwhile, in that time, you're going to save all that time to produce at least seven Stormcast Eternals codexes in that same time. So there you have it, guys. I um I would like to say that I had a good source for this. Unfortunately, I did not. Games Workshop does not um, return my calls or emails anymore, but I am pretty positive that is the winning way to make a Games Workshop model. So... Hopefully this came off more humorous than salty because as I'm coming along I'm like, oh man, this is this is sounding really salty. I, I I have no hatred. I'm just joking. Anyway, thank you so much to Patreon members, uh my Pimcron Dynasty over there, and thank you so much to GameMat.eu for supporting the show. And I will see you next week, yo.